Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast and other resources, please go to BethelCleveland.com. Worship's more than a more than a song. It's it's more than lyrics, and the heart of worship is 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 a, about a, an absolute commitment and surrender to the one that that paid it all, that paid it all for us. And sometimes, uh, you know. Pastor Steve, in his wisdom, kicked off this, the new year with just a, a Sunday of worship. It's just 90 minutes of just worshiping the Lord. And, and so many of you guys came out and it was just filled in every campus. And, and uh, it was just brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. Um, you guys can you guys can go if you want, or you can play. I don't, man. That's soothing to my soul, but you don't have to stand there. You know, I, I just thought uh, Pastor Stephen uh, has to be gone for out of town today, and uh, and I just wanted to pick up on that on that theme again: worship and and what worship really really is, and. It's just like that song says, it's, it's, it's not about, about the music. It's not about coming on, spending 40 minutes on a Sunday morning, you know, singing what we hope is going to be our favorite song, what we hope the worship, the worship leader is going to pick out my, my favorite songs because if he picks out my favorite songs, I'm going to be able to enter in better. I'm going to be able to worship better. I'm going to be able to connect with the Lord better and, and, and yeah, and though that's true and that's helpful, that's not what worship's about. That's not what worship is. The song that Matt Redmond wrote, as, as many of you may know the story, back in the day, his pastor at the church he was attending and he was the worship leader in, in staff meetings said, hey, I think that we put too, too many crutches on the worship and the worship portion of the service. Too many props holding up from lights and all the production and, and what we do. And that's not what worship's about. And so we're not gonna have any worship on Sunday mornings anymore until I feel the Lord change and do something different. And as a worship leader, you're like, wow, you just, you just took my soul existence away, right? And so it was, and, and you know, there was some frustration, you know, amongst the worship team and the worship community in the church. And, 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 and Matt went back and out of that season, he wrote this song. When the music fades and everything else is gone. It's all about you, Jesus. Nothing else matters. It's just about you, Jesus. Jesus. 
Worship is not instruments or music playing necessarily. It's not about a feeling or an emotion, though it can be. It's not tears. I'm a crier. It's not about tears or an emotion, joy or laughter. It can be. It's not about a genre of music. It's not what worship is. Though it can be all of those things in the right and proper context. These are expressions of worship. But worship is acknowledging that God is good and Lord, regardless of my situation or state of being in life. Worship is coming before him and acknowledging him at every season, at every moment of my life. Whether I'm in a, a season of prosperity or a desert season, worship, true worship is coming in, acknowledging him as Lord, as my savior, and that you are good always regardless of what's going on around me. That's worship. Worship is taking our eyes off of ourselves and our situation and acknowledging God is more than enough. Worship is, is praising God for the breakthrough that hasn't happened yet. We, we know, we know the position and the posture of our heart. If I can come and I can still give him everything when everything around me is crumbling. I know the posture and the position of my heart is right before him. It's worshiping him when it doesn't make sense. It's, it's Abraham offering up his only son, his promised son, his beloved son. I can't imagine what was going through Abraham's mind as he walked up that hillside and strapping his, his son to an altar. I can't imagine what was going through his mind. I can't imagine what was happening. I can't imagine this the, 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 in his physical body even, the feelings that he was feeling as he straps his son to an altar out of absolute worship and obedience to the one that he owes everything to. That's worship. That's worship saying, you are enough. I don't need a son to fulfill, to, to fulfill me. I don't need this to complete me. All I need is you to complete me. 
that and coming and acknowledging and having that posture in our heart to say, you, Jesus, are enough. And my spouse doesn't, if it's going well, it doesn't make me worship you more or less. If my checking is full, doesn't mean I worship you more. You see, those things are mere props in our life that can bring joy, can bring happiness. But if you need those in your life to bring joy and to cause you to position your heart to worship him, then what you're really worshiping is the amount that's in your checkbook or the goodness of the relationships that you have. That becomes your our idol at that moment. Does that make sense? Did I say that clearly? Yeah. Worship, extravagant worship often doesn't make sense to those around us. Can get in this flow singing God is good, whatever, and we can sing it for five minutes. You're like, I, I get it, man. I get it. Let's move on. God's good. Got it. Received it about four minutes ago. Man, but I tell you what, if you've been down and out, if your life has been on the ropes, if your son's been strung out on drugs and comes back, if your marriage has been on the last string and it's about ready to end and it's and it's healed i tell you what you'll sing god is good for five minutes or six minutes or ten minutes you'll you'll get into that place in the posture and i don't care what you're what you're going through or what you think i know what my god did and i know that he parted a sea and i when i needed a road and i know that he brought dead bones back to life in my marriage and i and i know when my checkbook was empty and i didn't know how i was going to pay my bills i got a check in the mail unexpectedly i'm going to sing that god is good because i i've seen his faithfulness in my life erica just starts singing i love you in the middle of that song reckless love i love you I love you. I find myself just driving down on my way in. I drive an hour here and I'm like, God, I love you. I love you. Many of you know I'm not an emotional guy. Like, I'm not a huggy feel. I'm not going <sighs> to. S isn't a, I am a crier though, man. I get, I get talking about Jesus because I know what he's, did for, he's done for me. In Matthew 26, Jesus is getting ready to head to the cross and, and it tells a story there about, about a woman that comes and breaks open this vial of very, very expensive perfume and begins to pour it all over the feet of Jesus and, and using her hair to, to, to wipe his feet and to clean his feet and and, and, and Matthew, the author of the book, he's, he's telling a story of, of about how the disciples and others in the room, they, they didn't understand 
why she would waste such expensive perfume and, and ointment, this oil, when she, could, when she could give it to the poor. Matthew doesn't, doesn't say who that woman is, but if you flip over to John 12, he says it's Mary and Martha. He went to the home of Simon, the leper, and he went back to Bethany, the, the town where Lazarus was raised from the dead. Because if you, you go back to, to chapter 11 of John, you, you begin to get an insight and a picture of why Mary was taking everything that she had and breaking it over to the feet of Jesus because it was four days that her brother was in the tomb. And now Jesus is back in, the, in Bethany and she comes to him because, because Jesus just raised her son from the, or her, her brother from the dead and she's pouring out her worship. She's pouring out her, her worship everything that she has she's sparing no expense to say Jesus thank you for what you have done for me thank you for sparing nothing and, and raising my brother it doesn't make sense our worship to, to others when they don't know what we've been through what we've walked through where where we, where we could have been and where God delivered us from. It doesn't make sense when we could just fully worship. And, and sometimes it's, it's, it's unreasonable. And Second Samuel chapter six is another great picture of of, of David entering into the city. He lost the ark. You remember they were trying to take the ark into Jerusalem and, 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 and one, of his, one of his guys, Uzziah, reached out and, and tried to stable, you know, steady, steady the ark. And, and when he touched it, he died and he left it there in Obed-Edom's house. And, 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 and finally David got permission to go back to, to Obed's house three months later and, and, and to bring the ark back into the city of, the city of Jerusalem. And, and, and on his way in there, he's just so excited that, that he's in the presence and he's got this opportunity to bring the ark, the presence of, the God, of God. That's what that meant. The ark represented the presence of the Lord. And even in Obed-Edom's house, when the, when the ark was staying there, there was a, there was a blue light that just, that just radiated in, in, in Obed-Edom's house. And everything he did prospered because the ark, the presence of the Lord was in his house. And so David's like, I need that in the city of Jerusalem. So he goes back and he brings this and he's dancing and he's dancing. And, and it says, you know, they take so many steps and they, they, they make a sacrifice and so many steps and they make another sacrifice. There's something that David is realizing that I'm in the presence of the Lord and he's worthy of my worship. He's worthy of my worship because of who he is. But it doesn't make sense to... to to Saul's daughter, Michael, who's looking out her window and sees, sees David dancing naked before, before the people and before her handmaids. And, and she confronts David and he says, you don't understand. 
you don't understand if you only knew what I know about who my God is, you would also dance and I will become even more undignified than this. And it says that Michael never bore children the rest of her life because she did not value the presence and the worship of the Lord. It doesn't make sense. Like Jerry, really, do we, do we really have to do this? Yeah, it's, it's really important because it, it reveals what's going on inside here. Worship is our breakthrough. Worship is our breakthrough. Worship is our breakthrough. It's the greatest weapon that we have. We, we can't wait until victory comes in whatever area in our life that we need it. No, we worship for the breakthrough. We worship because he's worthy. And whether there's breakthrough or there's not, I'm still going to worship him. That's what's important. That's the position and the posture of our heart is that we will always worship. It doesn't matter whether there's a Democrat or a, tr or, or a Republican in the White House. I'm going to worship him. He's still Lord. He's still God. And he's still sitting on the throne. What's going on around us doesn't matter. What matters is that he, and we recognize that he is the one that's in control. So in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, it's very, very familiar where, you know, they send out the worshipers to the front line. That makes no sense at all. And God didn't do that every time, as we would read in the scriptures. But in this situation, in this circumstance, he told King Jehoshaphat, I want you to send the worshipers out in front and let them go and do battle. That makes zero, zero sense. But a worshiper, a worshiping heart is an obedient heart. Mm, try it over here. A worshiping heart is an obedient heart. Come on, man. It's hard to obey God when the enemy's right here in our face. It's hard to worship him when I feel pressed in all around. But Paul said in Corinthians, man, I may be down, I may be out, I may be perplexed. I, all of that that he says there in Corinthians, I can't remember it. But I'll tell you, it's a good, you ought to go read it. I will worship and praise him. I will trust him at all times. It doesn't matter what season of life I'm at or where I'm at. He is always worthy of my worship. And I don't need a song. I don't need a worship song. I don't need a CD. I don't need the new Map City, the new Bethel, the new Elevation. All I need is to get into a place where I can lift up my eyes and I can look to him. I can position my heart before him and say, God, I've made some mistakes. You see, it's not about whether you put yourself in this situation or others have, have you know, 
things have happened that have caused you to be in that situation. I tell you, when we just begin to worship him, he comes down and he can touch a prodigal son that squandered everything. When we can begin to acknowledge him. That's all, that's all the prodigal son did. It just says that he came to his senses. He acknowledged, he looked up and began to acknowledge God. And at that moment, breakthrough came. Thanks for playing. Took my message from a five to a six. Actually, it took it probably from a three to a seven because of your plan. Let me read you, let me read you uh, um, Isaiah 30. This is good. This is, this is another example. In, in, in Isaiah 30, 31, 32, you don't have to turn there. I'm in Proverbs. That wouldn't be good. The strutting cock. So what it said. It says, and the Lord will cause his voice of authority to be heard and the descending of his arm to be seen in fierce anger and in the fame. Am I reading the right one? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm there. 31, 32, for at the voice of the Lord, Assyria will be terrified when he strikes with a rod and every blow of the rod of punishments, which the Lord will lay on him will be with the music of tambourines and, and lyres and, and the battles brandishing weapons. He will fight them. Here's what it says. 31, Isaiah 30, 31, 32. Basically it's saying every time I hear your worship, with cymbals and tambourines, it's saying, I will release my rod from heaven and defeat your enemy. I, I, I probably need to read that better because I'm like, I didn't get that, Jerry. I butchered that bad. 31, for at the voice of the Lord, Assyria will be terrified when he, when the Lord strikes with the rod and every blow of the rod of punishment, which the Lord will lay on him, will be with the music of tambourines and lyres and lyres in, in the battles. When you are worshiping, when you and I are worshiping to music, when you and I are just worshiping the Lord in our bedroom or in our quiet place or in our car, and there doesn't need to be any music on, but when we're worshiping, it says that he will bring his rod to the enemy. That, that's good news. See, the, see, the, the, the enemy tells us, you know, it's like, ah, he's forgotten you. He, you know, he doesn't, he, you know, he's left you alone. He's forsaken you. No, my word says that he will never forsake you. Though mother and father may forsake you, the Lord will never forsake you.
My Bible says that he's written my name on the palm of his hand. My Bible says that I'm the apple of his eye. My Bible says that he is my God and my Lord and my victor. He is my brother and my friend. He will stick closer, closer to me than a brother. I'm telling you, he is God that's more than enough. And as we begin to worship him, we will see breakthrough. As we begin to position and put him first in every area of our life. We will see breakthrough. Let me finish with this. In Psalm, in Psalm 63, it says this. Oh God, thou art my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for thee. My flesh yearns for thee in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I have beheld thee in thy sanctuary to see thy power and thy glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. Worship, worship. It says that my, my flesh, my soul thirsts for thee. My flesh yearns for thee. Worship recalibrates our heart and flesh. Worship recalibrates the desires of our flesh and our heart. Putting him first, seeking his face. Regardless of our circumstances, because of your loving kindness, it's better than life. And my lips will praise you. And I will bless you as long as I live. David knew the secret. David knew the secret. Twenty twenty one can be a magnificent year. If we as individuals can learn this principle to, to become worshipers like David. And whether we're on the backside of a mountain shepherding my father's sheep, he knew how to play his harp and to worship the Lord when no one else was around. Or whether he was sitting in a palace and he was king and he was bringing the ark back and all eyes were on him. He was still the same man as he was as a shepherd boy on the backside of that desert. He was a worshiper. And he knew how to worship for breakthrough. He knew how to put God first in every season of his life. We read the Psalms and King Saul is after him to kill his life. And we can see and we can read in the scriptures where he is worshiping when his life is in absolute danger. It's our breakthrough. It's our freedom. It needs to be the posture of our heart. So Bethel Cleveland, I mean, I think, man, what could God do with a church of 
sold out worshipers. Regardless of our circumstances and situations, man, I'm here to worship you. Let's stand.